listening to Keeping It Real with Janine, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life. I'm your hostess, Janine Strong, and I endeavor to be a fount of inspiration for today's challenging times. I'm especially excited about our conversation today. Every two weeks, I have a fun, inspiring conversation with ordinary people leading extraordinary lives. Today's conversation is going to be a team effort. These are members of Dr. Matt Flory's functional health team. So I'll introduce Matt first. For over 18 years, Dr. Flory has identified and implemented natural methods, nutritional remedies, and lifestyle modifications that offer safe, effective, and clinically proven ways of regaining health, function, and most important to me, quality of life. As a doctor practicing functional medicine, Dr. Flory specializes in holistically treating inflammation and inflammation-related complaints. His team of health detectives utilize functional medicines, unique diagnostic procedures, and largely natural methods of treatment with a focus on methylation and nutrigenomics. Mouthful. Welcome back to the podcast, Matt. Hi there, Janine. Great to be here with you. Yeah, good to have you. Yeah. Yeah, and I forgot to say, today we're going to be talking about anxiety and depression. Um, Our next guest as part of the team is Amanda LaPlante. She is an integrative nutrition health coach, and she has battled herself multiple autoimmune diseases for two decades. And after discovering the power of nutrition and root cause medicine, she dropped over a dozen medications, shed 50 pounds, regained control of her health, and found new purpose in life. And she is on a mission to illuminate the amazing healing potential within us and the powerful roles that food, lifestyle, and mindset play in our health. Hi, Amanda. How are you? Hi, Janine. I'm well. Glad to be here. Great. Oh, I forgot to mention also that you have a radio show, Get Real to Heal. And I understand you have a prior commitment and you might have to leave early. So when it's time, you can just say goodbye. Thanks. Okay. Our next guest, part of the team, is Shelly Hogan. Shelly is Breath Mama. She is a breathwork facilitator who weaves the methods of rebirthing and transformational breathwork into her own unique approach of integration consciousness. In less than a year's time with her daily breathwork practice, she altered her subconscious programming and healed several addictions to chemical dependencies and past patterns of beliefs formed from childhood trauma. Her life contract to experience extremes of near death, by failing at suicide as a teenager, to becoming an embodied facilitator of consciousness. Hi, Shelly. How are you? Hello there, Janine. It's so happy to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to connect with both you and Amanda because we haven't talked yet. So before we get to the topic of anxiety and depression, perhaps, and maybe this is Matt's role here, you can tell us just what the functional health team's unique approach is. Why would someone want to work with you guys? Well, that is a good question. Uh, functional health team really is a, uh, it's a product of the vision I had after being in private practice for uh, that many years and really seeing, you know, certainly seeing people uh, succeed, but uh, seeing too many people struggle with the standard presentation or standard kind of methods that uh, are in private practice. So 
with Functional Health Team, we deliver uh, a team-based uh, approach of support, whether it's in the worlds of stress management, uh, uh, and that may be in, in you know physical means like say you know breath work that Shelley might do, or in conversational and coaching means uh, when somebody's uh, trying to get on top of some financial stresses or. Uh, decluttering their home, so some lifestyle type changes, things you know Amanda is excellent at. And then it's all founded on a basis of the functional medicine concepts, and and I'm what's called a care coordinator. And we all work together to deliver this in a very convenient way to our clients, uh, which is directly to them in their home. So we work uh, largely over telemedicine, and we just kind of create affordable uh, and intelligent plans based off of uh, each client's unique needs and uh, give them access to the type of practitioners. There's you know many more things other than just what the three of us do that are included on the team. Uh, and so I encourage people to uh, check us out. Uh, you know we're not hiding from anybody. We're on Facebook and you know functionalhealthteam.com website and you can kind of learn more about what it is we're doing. Great. Okay. Yeah, I think that that's a that's a pretty good summary of of your group. How many people are on your team? Oh boy, I've started to lose count, Janine, which is kind of <laughs> exciting. <laughs> oh, that's great, Matt. You know, in terms of yeah, in terms of the support team, we're right around uh, ten to twelve uh, strong, I think. Uh, then what what largely a lot of my focus is is to partner with other holistic practitioners, whether it's in you know the St. Louis region where we are based or even uh, out beyond that, so that the types of things that a holistic practitioner specializes in or does well themselves, they can focus in on that, but then they can be part. Uh, they can kind of bring and come uh, to a, a larger team for those clients that um, might be the problem child. You know, they're doing they're doing well. They're doing you know they're they're getting some results, but they're hitting a ceiling. You know, and they might need some backup. And so we really help to partner with them to support their clients to a greater degree. And and everybody wins because, you know, the client progresses, the the practitioner that brought them to us, they're, they're seen as the genius. And, you know, we're basically there just to kind of facilitate uh, a few things that, uh, that, that we're good at as a team. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Amanda, what caused you to become interested in joining the team? You know, I've had some wonderful conversations with Dr. Matt and several others on the team, and I just loved the idea of, I think, well, Matt, you can explain it probably better than anyone, right? This this whole concept of Kaizen, that was actually what grabbed my attention. Is it really? Yeah. It really was. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Uh, well, Kaizen is, you know, to keep it simple, it's a Japanese compound word. Right. And I don't know if they even compound word is, is something they use in, in their language, but because a lot of their words have d- much deeper meaning than ours do. But uh, in our view, it's a compound word, uh, Kai and Zen. And we know Zen uh, is good. You know, Kai means change. And so uh, together it's, it describes good change. And some of the components behind good change are that we're gathering information about where we're at right now, currently. We are making evidence-based decisions based off that information and taking one step at a time to build 
a little bit and create a solid foundation for moving forward. And I, I think that um, that really struck me the very first time I heard it. And so for me, Janine, just to kind of wrap back around, a lot of what I do as an integrative nutrition health coach, um, you know, the integrative or the, the holistic approach, right? We're looking at all the aspects of a person, not just, you know, one or two things. We're really trying to look deeper, dig deeper. Um, and we're looking at um, making small, sustainable changes over a period of time. So this is something that I do in my practice on the regular. And when he explained the concept of Kaizen, the team that he was putting together and the way that we could all work together and each take a little piece of the puzzle to help break things into more sustainable, small steps that were easily digestible um, by by people that would be coming into his practice. I just I loved the way everything flowed together. And I thought that's the kind of community and the, the kind of team that I want to be a part of. Uh, because I feel we can have a really great impact with people that way. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you, Amanda. How about you, Shelley? What encouraged you to or inspired you to join the team? Well, uh, I have trained myself in a healing modality that is best used in combination with other healing modalities. So when I have a client that might be having digestive issues or they want to learn more about their diet, being able to offer my team up as a way that the person can have a whole support system just made it so much easier for myself and being able to create this kind of awareness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. And as we all know, the whole is, is much more than the sum of the parts. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So the reason that I approached you about doing this conversation on anxiety and depression is that it just seems to me that anxiety has become almost an epidemic. And what kind of brought that home for me in a very personal way is a teenager who has been dealing with anxiety issues and my husband went to a talk at uh, the high school that he goes to, and uh, it was on anxiety and teenagers, and the place was packed. It was all adults. It was uh, all parents. There were no kids there, and, and he said the room was, was full. And I started thinking about it and asking people that I know who are in their, say, 50s and 60s, do you ever remember anxiety? At, serious anxiety where it's it's um, immobilizing. Do you, do you remember this being an issue when you were in junior high or high school and everybody's like, no. And I'm wondering what's going on? Why is everyone so anxious? And I know it's not a, a one answer question. To me, there has to be a multiple reasons. I thought this is really an important topic to cover. I'm so pleased that you all have agreed to, uh, to talk about this. So let's start with anxiety. What, what causes anxiety in the body? Obviously, there's a trigger, an outside trigger, but then what, what happens to us that causes us to become anxious? And, and what really is anxiety? Uh, well, I, I think that your, you know, your observation, or at least, you know, your line of questioning to those around you was appropriate. And, you know, it might be a little bit bittersweet. It, it's, uh, it's sweet that 
there is a willingness in your community to uh, create an environment where this can be openly discussed a support system for those that are kind of suffering in this way, but bitter in the fact that I think you're exactly right, that it is a, uh, and, and I'm going to say really just the emotional spectrum, right, of, of conditions as a whole is something that's on the increase. And when you ask what's behind it, what's driving it, we're going to even probably get into the fact that <laughs> On the biochemistry level, it's very misunderstood. It's 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 not well understood. But I will I won't just leave you hanging with that because yeah you know me Janine we've you know it, it's kind of funny we're kind of getting to the point where we can say oh I've known I've known you for years <laughs> that's true <laughs> and we, we've had many conversations and it probably won't surprise you for me to say that it, a lot of it stems back to the gut right. And it being a primary driver of inflammation. And one of the things I, I, I like to say is that, you know, these inflammation, this is a spectrum of, of inflammatory disorders, which, you know, constitutes a full 75 to 90% of the entire, you know, kind of diagnostic catalog. Those are based on other causative factors. So the, the, the gut we know is one of them. But there's other things out there, too, that drive chronic inflammation. And without getting too technical, deep into the biochemistry, we know that uh, that sort of the, the gut function, this sort of inflammation, it messes with this biochemistry of methylation. And that, that just leads to a cascade of very deep genetic expression changes and it really just changes the way our enzymes work in our body and so that means that the entire biochemistry the balance of function in our body uh, goes off and and I think we'll just kind of leave it there for right now as we kind of dive deeper if that's all right mm -hmm. yes and I'd like to say also because the topic of methylation is important and if anyone is interested in knowing more about it we have done a previous podcast conversation on methylation. I think what I'll do when I set up the website page for this conversation, I'll put a link to the, the methylation conversation that we had. So yeah, we don't need to go into it more here because we've already done a very thorough discussion Absolutely. of methylation. And the interesting thing is that that chemistry is the chemistry of epigenetics. Okay. And that word epigenetics, we know uh, is the driving force behind how our environment influences our expression of function in our body. And so this becomes about lifestyle, right? And, and the stresses in our life and stress from a broad perspective. It might be job stress. It might be, you know, the fi financial stress. It might be something else. And so, you know, that's why Shelly and Amanda are excellent resources for us to be talking to in this um, discussion because they've got, <clears throat> they've got their finger on the pulse of a lot of these lifestyle uh, issues or the, um, uh, the, the management of the uh, effects of stress in our life. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's go with Amanda right now. And since you are an integrative nutrition coach, what is your, your, <clears throat> excuse me, your approach to working with someone with anxiety and depression issues? So it's, it's a multifactorial issue, right? Um, 
and what I can tell you is I'm by no means an expert in any of this. I am, however, a person who has dealt with anxiety, depression, at one point was even labeled bipolar for many, many, many years, struggled with with lots of symptoms that resulted from uh, PTSD, from some you know, unfortunate things that happened as a child and then from a sexual assault as a young woman. And it really, I, I tried the medical route. I tried the pharmaceutical approach ad nauseum and really just got not only no relief, but really got lost, lost myself in that process. And what I found was by getting back to really the basics, things that people have been doing for millennia, right? In Ayurveda, Chinese medicine, et cetera, et cetera, you know, just breathing, starting with just consciously breathing every day. (laughs) That really is number one, isn't it? (laughs) It really is. And it's such a simple thing. It's such a simple thing that it actually shocks people. You know, they come in and and connect with me for a session and I'm like, okay, well, we're going to start by breathing. (laughs) And Um, And then, of course, after we've gone through some conscious breathing exercises, they sit back inevitably every single person, every single time sits back and just looks at me wide eyed and says, I had no idea that I hadn't been breathing, you know, and what a difference that made in their conscious consciousness. And I'm like, you can feel the shift. And inevitably, every time the answer is, oh, yes. So starting with things like that, Janine, and then you know, meditation, all of these, these techniques that have been around for a long, long, long time and have a wonderful proven track record and now have science to back them. So I start there. And then it's about, as Dr. Matt said, taming, taming inflammation in the gut is a great place to start so that all of your neurotransmitters are working properly. And I think, and, and Matt, you can probably talk to, to the numbers better than I, but I think it's something like 90% of your serotonin is produced in your gut lining. And so many people don't know that. So, you know, this gut brain connection is essential. So we've got working on an anti-inflammatory diet, um, cutting out things like gluten, um, which has, by the way, in several studies been linked very definitively to spurring on issues genetically, such as bipolar, schizophrenia, all kinds of things. So it's just getting those those inflammatory foods out of the diet will make a big difference as well. So that's kind of the places that we start, Janine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And what about you, Shelley? What's your approach to uh, working with someone with anxiety and depression issues? Yeah, so I've actually been finding myself where I've been receiving clients that are coming in and like, okay, I've tried all of these modalities and now I need some help. And, And just like Amanda had said, they're quite surprised how much they are not focused on their breathing. And sometimes the words, oh, I forgot to breathe, or I am so anxious, I sometimes forget to breathe, like these, this seems to be the norm from a lot of people. And we know that anxiety results from perceiving a threat in our environment. And our bodies have this super awesome, efficient stress response to those environmental stressors. So the blood pressure rises, hormones are being released, where breathing becomes erratic as we're preparing to fight or run away from it. So people are are on high alert all the time. And to me, I'm starting to see it in the way people are coming in and their respiratory patterns. 
and it's 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 beginning to have that negative effects on their health in which Dr. Matt was talking about that's kind of where the inflammation is coming from it's we're not giving our bodies those chances to rest got it so how does how does the breath work that you do how does that help so as we um, start to recognize the issues in our tissues, <laughs> we um, what we do is we really start to create a conscious, connected breath, and it just naturally produces a process in the body that has a very cleansing and purifying effect. And I'm finding that a lot of more people are, they're just creating a little bit more harmony in the body and they're, they're balancing that, um, parasympathetic system. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When someone is doing the, your breath work, are they releasing or, or transforming or transmuting stuck emotional patterns too? Yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Which can be the foundation for maybe why they are reacting, uh, maybe overreacting to something or continually having anxiety issues. Right. I actually think that it's almost like we are placing a pattern interrupt because they're so focused on, you know, the anxious feelings, the sweatiness, the dizziness, the the muscle contractions that instead I'm going to give them a focus. It's, it's like an active meditation. You're going to give the a mind something to focus on in order to let the body release what it's holding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think the idea of pattern interrupt is very important in, in this mm -hmm. issue. I, I would agree. You know, there is, if you, if you think about, you know, a time when you've been significantly stressed, right that leaves such an imprint right on your on your brain function and your your psyche and the the energetic state of the body that uh, at some point you just have to get in and start to uh, change that mm -hmm. absolutely it looks like i'm going to have uh, a couple on who work with eft it's so simple it's, it's called emotional freedom technique and I've been doing that off and on since the 90s, and I always forget to do it, but I think because it's so simple. Sure. <laughs> that's well, a really good pattern interrupt method, too. It, it is. Well, you're familiar with uh, Dr. Maureen, right? Yeah, Dr. Absolutely. Maureen, she, she, she practices a lot of EFT uh, with, with functional health team clients and with her, uh, her own clients also. Mm -hmm. Good, good. It's easy to teach people to do when they're not working with you guys. It's, it's a good skill to, to take home with you. Yeah, we put that in the category of good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Now, you had sent me some notes. And what is, uh, I'm not even sure how to pronounce this, Buccheco method? Sure. Well, uh, you know, regarding the, the stress response in the body, there's uh, there are certainly some very deeply researched uh, breath work methods that are out there. Shelley is very deeply in uh, the process of, of the respiratory work she does. There were a couple that I threw out there, uh, the relaxation response, 
Utieko method. There's, you know, I mean, there have been people that have studied this for decades and, and documented the physiologic response that can happen. And so uh, both that relaxation response and the uh, Butieko methods uh, are, are ones that have been extensively researched. Those are ones that, you know, somebody could go out, you know, look up information on and, 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 and try to implement, uh, as we like to say, you know, implement it on Monday morning. Right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and when you're talking about relaxation response you're talking about something like a progressive relaxation or is that and there's many yeah exactly there, there's many there, there's many uh forms of that but y yes uh the progressive relaxation the relaxation response itself i think by specific name is a little bit different than the progressive relaxation <laughs> oh. uh relaxation but you know, they're very similar also relaxation response is a 20 minute breathing pattern that promotes you know mindfulness and and breaking that pattern uh, the progressive uh, relaxation starts to incorporate if I'm not mistaken it starts to incorporate some muscle tensing and then relaxing as part of it yeah and and so you really want to honestly you want to find what works for you you know somebody that has more you know who knows muscle pain let's say um, spasm might find a benefit to incorporating some of that tense uh, tension relaxation into a process for them, whereas you know somebody else might just really deeply focus on the breathing and the breath work them it's, uh, itself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So let's say that someone uh, they're working on their diet and they're you know doing all kinds of things to help regain their health and their well-being, um, but they're still having some issues with anxiety. So what might be? Let's see. I think they're they're two two issues here. One would be like, what would you guys recommend that someone do like on a daily basis for uh, a, a practice? And then in the moment of the anxiety or the anxious experience, what could they do to help relieve that right away? Some takeaways for people, I guess is what I'm looking for. Sure, Amanda, do you want to start with something possibly? So for myself, if, if I'm having a, a panic attack or a moment of anxiety, which thankfully I don't have too regularly anymore, but um, there are some different grounding techniques that I've found are very helpful for me. And some of them are going to seem a little, a little strange maybe. But number one, I think, is, is just getting into mindfulness, really trying to reconnect with my body in that moment when I realize that I feel myself floating away you know, thinking about some of the tactile sensations and just some of the things around me to be able to kind of settle back in and feel physically, okay, I'm in my chair, I'm supported by my chair, I'm here. Other things are, you know, I had a counselor who had told me to look around the room and find all the things that are blue, <laughs> five things that are blue, just little things like that, that I can do to distract myself and reconnect with myself. Um, those tend to work very well for me. But probably my favorite thing to do, and, and it seems to just snap me right out of a panic attack or, or anxiety attack, is a technique called the 478 breath um, that I was taught by Dr. Andrew Weil, who is one of the teachers at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, where I studied. And it's, you know, you breathe in through the nose for four, you hold your breath for seven, and you breathe out through your mouth for eight, and you do that three times in a row. That technique seems to work beautifully for um, 
myself and for so many of my clients, I have one man who was having panic attacks and he said they, it just, it stops them for him right in their tracks. And he said, it's like getting a 478 pound gorilla off his chest. Wow. Would you <laughs> which re- I love. That's awesome. So could you repeat it again for people just to make sure they really get it? Sure. So you want to breathe in through your nose, four counts, hold for seven counts, and then breathe out through your mouth for eight counts and do that three times. I have no doubt that someone will connect with that and, uh, and use it and it'll, it'll make a big difference in their life. So thank you. You're welcome. What about you, Shelly? Well, I have a lot of kind of moments that I have learned to do. Some are definitely, I love the four, seven, eight breath, even just stopping what I'm doing and going outside and doing something called earthing, just walking around, doing some grounding exercises. My go-to is always breath work because I don't believe that anxiety and depression those are states of minds and it's just this moment of if you are just focused on that present moment and being in your breath, then you really don't have that energy to worry about or focus on anything else. Going for a walk is definitely big. Um, taking a bath, cutting energetic cords. Um, there's a lot of different ways we can begin to start creating a more uh, mindful practice with ourselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. And it seems to me that, you know, anxiety is a process in the mind that is uh, projecting out to, uh, we'll say like a negative outcome with something that you don't even know is going to happen. So all of these things that both you and Amanda are talking about, to me, they're like pattern interrupt processes that help get you present in the present moment and grounded in your body and, and just and where you're at right now, as opposed to your fear about what might happen. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Do you have anything to add, Matt? Well, I think that the interesting thing that we're bringing up with that pattern interruption is, is really literally an entirely different way of looking at anxiety or let's just say, you know, just altered emotional states compared to, how we're taught to think about them, right? How the uh, predominant health, uh, well, let's say medical industry and, and, so, and social understanding uh, teaches us to think about these things, which is generally the type of understanding like, hey, it's patterned in your genetics. It's going to happen. It was a ticking time bomb. I'm so sorry. You know, you're born with it. So, you know, it's no surprise that it happened. You know, it it couldn't be the food that you eat uh, and the combination of the sleep that you got last night, right? The the, the stresses, uh, how long you spent on the computer, on your phone, <laughs> you know, right? All these combinations of things. And we have this tendency to to look at it or be taught to look at it that way. And to try to blame it on one thing. Well, let me let me change this one bit of chemistry, right? Like my serotonin's not right, my dopamine's not right. It's it's undoubted that those are a factor in the overall state, but uh, we're we're taught not to look at the, the environment around us, what patterns it's creating, and how we deal with those, 
right? And I think that this is something that's really we've just begun to understand this in the last decade or two, right? This concept of, of, of epigenetics, to bring that word up again, that it's our environment that is going to influence that biochemistry. So why are we going to focus in on trying to change uh, the amount of serotonin with a, with a MAO inhibitor? Okay, and and not look at the environmental influences that are that are driving that uh, that response in our body, if that makes some sense. Right. Right. Yes. No, it does. And also, do you find that people who do tend to get panic attacks or have a kind of a high level of anxiety just normally in their life, do they tend to be drawn towards things that aren't helpful, like caffeine and uh, uh, sitting at the computer for long periods of time? and <laughs> Well, I think that I, I certainly think that these influences of our environment, whether it is stressors and patterns or post-traumatic stress, right, that has been ingrained in our uh, in our psyche, uh, our gut environment. We got to remember, even though we don't see it and that's internal, that's our environment that's in constant contact with the skin of our gut. And there's a constant transfer uh, across that skin. Uh, unfortunately for some people, even more transfer than, than should be there when it's a case of leaky gut and infection and, and all these sorts of things. But these these changes that are then the trickle down effects of all these things in our you could almost say patterned into our biochemistry. These are the things then we use, uh, like you mentioned, a caffeine or, or or drugs or something that's not not even a drug, but it's going to give a person a it's going to give a person a uh, input right chemically. Of a of certain neurotransmitters, the the dopamine response is what's largely behind uh, you know addiction, and we get that from all sorts of things. It, it doesn't have to be a just a you know a, a drug that's there. And so our our caffeine addiction, you know, as as compared to other sorts of addictions, there's I, you know I, I won't say that there's no differences in in addictions, but there's certainly some very fundamental similarities between addictions and using uh, substances, using even actions to influence that chemistry that has been initially offset and imbalanced by the, 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 the combination of these other factors and patterns. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How does, it, it, to me, it's see, and I may be, wrong here is anxiety it do anxiety and depression tend to go hand in hand or do you see them as really quite separate things uh, honestly I, I don't really see them as two separate of things i mean certainly there are some characteristics of each that we can talk about on a kind of an intellectual scale right you know where's Again, saying the words and talking about how is serotonin and dopamine produced, in what relationship are they in the body, how are our genetics set up to produce and to 
recycle serotonin and dopamine uh, because, it, hey, it's all a balance, right? It, it, we, we have to, in the same conversation, you better be talking about how the, the, the substance is broken down. Uh, but then, you know, you've also got uh, other chemistry that we can talk about uh, in association with anxiety like glutamate and GABA. Glutamate is neurotoxic or neuroexcitatory toxic, we call it. Right. Uh, it uh, just creates an elevated um, state, which is, you know, it's it, that's a I would say a very familiar sensation to people with anxiety. And GABA is very calming uh, to, to the brain intellectually. Um, and, and from, you know, maybe my standpoint of how, how deep we go into that chemistry, we might we might do that. But, you know, we can take we could take a supplement or we, you can, I guess I don't even know if I want to go down the drug route yet. Cause you know, there's so much we could talk about the misconceptions of, of how we think about uh, the, these drugs as answers, but we could try to influence um, uh, artificially, let's say. Right. And, and I, and I think that that brings in not only, you know, pharmaceuticals, but also natural products, because if we're trying to influence even with natural products, the symptoms that we're experiencing or a chemical imbalance without addressing some of these larger things, then I, I hardly sometimes think that that's a better route because we're not really fixing it, are we? Well, to me, it's it's just addressing symptoms, yeah. right? So it's okay on a short-term basis to help uh, address symptoms, but if you're not getting at the root cause... It's just to me, it's it's just like it's going to pop out somewhere else or in some other way or again. Absolutely. And, and that root cause is really very important because, you know, something that people really may not realize is that there are conditions that all the time are misdiagnosed as anxiety. There's conditions that are misdiagnosed as depression. They mimic these these types of symptoms, you know, with anxiety. You've got, well, we've already kind of brought up gut dysfunction can throw that off. And so that's super important. But somebody could be even at a very basic uh, level experiencing blood glucose problems and, and, and blood sugar crashes. And this will drive uh, anxiety chemically in their body. And so, you know, why are you going to reach for the, the pill bottle, whether it's, you know, pharmaceutical prescription or even natural? This is really what we're focused on, right? It is cause-based medicine. Uh, you know, food is medicine. Uh, lifestyle change is medicine. And then we can certainly use a supplement to help get you there quicker, right? Certain vitamins, minerals, other cofactors, things like that. But so there's, there's these misdiagnosed conditions that we might, you know, label as anxiety when you go in specifically to see the psychiatrist, you know, I mean, one of the, one of, it just brings up this saying in my head, to a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? <laughs> you know? And so uh, what is the psychiatrist going to do? Not, and not only that, but you come in saying, hey, I saw this commercial for a great drug on TV. Now, I know uh, up in Canada, I don't think that's allowed, but here in the United <laughs> States, it is allowed. <laughs> right? 
I don't know. I got it, I got rid of my satellite cable stuff, and I just use Netflix and yeah. uh, and Amazon Prime and Hulu when I'm crocheting and knitting at night. So I don't even see any ads anymore. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure, sure. Uh, and, and that's probably that's probably better. It'll keep it'll keep you sane for longer. But you know that's. That's kind of along the anxiety end, and I think you know I really just want to at least briefly mention that you know misdiagnoses uh, and mimicking functional uh, disturbances in the body that are, are uh, mimic depression. Again, things like gut dysfunction and your leaky gut, your food sensitivities, hypothyroidism primarily is something that is uh, misrecognized as as depression, and that's not the only hormone. Right, adrenal fatigue, or what you know, they might call adrenal pause, adrenal fatigue, and only pauses because they've been stressed for so long. Right? It's like, hey, stop. <laughs> uh, with men, particularly, andropause. Um, you know, and you're going to know some of these things are happening if you know if, if you've got depression, but then you also have you've had elevated cholesterol. Well, you know, you can bet that if it isn't already low, that the low T condition is on its way. It's knocking on its door. So we we typically uh, see with you know hormone shifts, whether it's the thyroid hormone. Whether it's male or female hormones, uh, whether it's a, a, you know the adrenals, that these go along with altered moods, altered mood states. Right, and just to put my two cents worth in, because I've been there, when your thyroid, your adrenals, whatever organ isn't working properly in your body. I'll just be really honest here. You feel like shit. And when you feel like shit all the time and you're not able to think straight and and you're tired all the time, you're depressed. <laughs> well, you, yeah, you better believe it, you know, and you and really you want an answer now. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it, it really opens up. I want to make sure that people understand the cautionary posture they have to take here. Okay, because if you are in that position, you're looking for an answer. Absolutely, you're looking for an answer. And you are susceptible to the next advertisement, okay, that is geared at emotionally connecting with you. Uh, we all know sales, right? Good salesmen, they, they do it off of, you know, not your needs. But your desires, your emotions, okay, and and very frequently it may be fear. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> am I ever gonna feel normal again? So the advertisements are uh, there. That's what they're directed at, and it's really sad that you know I think it's like a forty nine percent of psychiatric prescriptions are based off of. A, a, a patient or prospective patient walking in and saying, hey, I, I, I want this or I heard about this, right? I mean, these consultations, they may, they may take as little as 10 minutes sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. And if you think about it, the, the real disturbing thing here is that how does the doctor know? There is no blood test that the psychiatrist uses to diagnose this. There is no scan, right? No electroencephalograph performed that diagnoses this sort of thing, all right? And so the beginning of that pharmaceutical treatment 
frequently comes on a you know you want to know where the collusion really is it's on a collusion of the methods of uh, the producers promoting that into the the professional field and then the marketing that they put out there driving you know emotionally uh, susceptible or emotionally let's say you know fragile when you're anxious or depressed or you're bouncing back between the two like bipolar uh, is that you're you're really driving the two forces together from the perspective of the producer and so you know you, you get somebody that's going in and now they're on an antidepressant and you know we know that some of these things have had studies done uh, regarding uh, the, the side effects, but I can tell you that there's no study that's done on the multiplicity, uh, the multiples of drugs that are used to try to, try to try to shift the ever-changing mood states of somebody that's taking them. You know, you start in on an antidepressant or antidepressant, excuse me, and then you might you know, go to a stimulant because now you're, uh, you know, now you're, you're, you're fatigued as part of it. And then you go, well, now you're on a stimulant and you're not sleeping well. So now, now what happens? You know, what do you go on then? You go on, you know, sleep medication. (laughs) And it's this, you know, it's this, just this, um, uh, this endless cycle. Kind of a roller coaster. Uh, Amanda, how would you like to, would you like to weigh in here? I think maybe Amanda had to jet off while uh, while I was going on there. Oh, okay. Shelly, would you uh, would you? I know she did have to leave, so we'll catch her next time. Shelly, would you like to weigh in? So it seems that in in my line of work as a breath worker, I'm finding that there is a uh, a lot of blockages of what seems like frozen energy in the body. What I think it is is a lot of unexpressed emotion. And, and we're not, not uh, a culture that lends awareness to, um, for people to have that capacity to be able to express their feelings. And when you look at um, the, just the nervous system of having an over-aroused nervous system, you have all of these sensations that come with it. I mean, you have, it's cold hands, cold feet, tight muscles. Pe- people are grinding their teeth. And that goes into just creating more and more of an unstable nervous system, which does in turn, you know, sadly bring about these diseases that we're experiencing on a very fast level in our society. Um, So I find that just the more that we can maybe slow down the arousal of the nervous system and, and bringing it back more into balance, it, it just, we're seeing, I'm seeing personally on my own, just a little bit more of a positive mental attitude. People, people seem like they have more energy and yeah, that would be my weight. <laughs> I, I think that's, I think, well, I think that's so appropriate the way you say that. Cause you know, if you're talking about slowing down arousal, think of, you know, just these categories of things that we've talked about, right? Uh, well, what, is, what, do, what, do, what do these stressors do? Well, they get you hyper aroused, get you into fight or flight, right? Uh, we now know that, you know, what are they putting on all the phones, tablets, and computers these days? The blue light filters so that it, it, it calms down that, that neural energy 
that's there. We talk about poor sleep. Well, what's not happening? Happening, your brain's not getting the time to amply go deep into the deep restorative sleep. You know, so I think that that's a great way of, of putting it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, th- I think a lot of people fail to acknowledge the importance of enough good restorative sleep. I mm-hmm. just know for myself, the day after a really good night's sleep, I'm on top of the world. And if I, the day after a, a not very good night's sleep, I really, I feel like crap. Uh, we we all know, we've all heard of melatonin, right? Some people will try to take that uh, or will take it uh, to help, you know, stimulate a, falling asleep, a, a deeper sleep, those sorts of things. Well, that's what at least it, to some degree that's what they see in the literature, uh, in 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 the research, I should say, that that blue light's doing. Right, it's preventing uh, melatonin production. So you know you're on the computer through the afternoon and into the evening at night. You're not your brain's not building up that melatonin as the natural blue light from the ambient environment is going away. That's the trigger in your body for melatonin to be produced. Is that blue light going away uh, from you know from our, envi- our environment? And so uh, you know inter- interesting stuff. Hmm. So it's because I didn't realize this. So it the blue light coming off of a screen, it's preventing melatonin production. I would say that's at least one of the things we're seeing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Okay. Which is important to get into sleep and you know a good night's sleep. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's when we that's when we our restorative time. That's when our body regenerates and heals and resets and. Yeah. Well, that's right. That's it. Sounds like we've talked before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. One thing I would like to tell our listeners is that you uh, have a short, two short quizzes uh, on your website. One for anxiety, and one for depression to help pinpoint the solution to what's going on with you. So why don't you? say what the uh the the link is for that and i'll also put that on the web page of course so people can just click on it you you bet and 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 i will say the reason we have them separate it it, it kind of goes back to when i mentioned the misdiagnosis right or the mimicking of the of these conditions in, in the body because if we can start to pinpoint the specific causes that's when we really have a pathway forward, right? Whether it's anxiety or depression. And so uh, the anxiety quiz uh, you can find at fht.care. So that'd be like the initials of functional health team dot C-A-R-E and then slash anxiety quiz. Just all one word, lowercase. So fht.care anxiety quiz. And then the depression one is at fht.care depression quiz uh, slash depression quiz, all all one word, lowercase. Okay, great. And I'll have links so people can just click on that too. Awesome. So so let's just go over uh, uh, the kind of a summary of emotional health treatment. You know, what's what's important here for people because... You can't, I don't think, you can't just want things to change. You, you, have to, you, you have to do some things differently. You have to change some things in your life in order to feel better, right? So what kinds of things do you guys recommend? 
Sure. Well, you know, n- number one, uh, the first thing I would say is the minute you feel like, hey, I need to do something about this, it's a problem, be on high alert and be very discerning about where you're going for answers. You know, we talked about the, you know, kind of the standard psychiatry route, you know, that's out there. Now, uh, it's not about, you know, necessarily the individual doctors. In fact, some of the more progressive psychiatrists uh, are doing things very differently these days, but it's certainly not mm, a majority, right? It's a low minority that's out there. So in terms of, you know, really what you need to be prepared for, though, is you've got to be ready for some lifestyle changes, right? You've got to be ready to deal with stressful, consistent stressors in your life, either by removing them, changing them, mitigating them, uh, certainly willing to take some time out of your day to do some breath work. You can try some by yourself, but if... If if you have a tough case, you may want somebody to guide you through it, and that's why there's professionals that do that. Uh, you need to be ready to take a hard look at the inflammatory uh, triggers in your body, and number one on that list is the gut. So that's going to include potentially looking and seeing if there are any pathogens there potentially changing the diet. You might have to become aware of any foods that you're responding to in in, in a poor way. And that's not always the easiest thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not the same for everyone. I mean, one of my most frequent, uh, not frequent, my most recent food sensitivity tests I did, I mean, it, it broke my heart, Janine. I mean, I literally started tearing up when I looked at it because this person ate healthy. They ate healthy. They ate by an Ayurvedic, (laughs) you know, appropriate diet for themselves. They ate greens. They ate vegetables. They, you know, were were very careful about the the protein, you know, animal protein sources that they chose to put in their body. And this person tested uh, responsive to, I'm telling you, it blew my mind, nearly all vegetables. Oh, my goodness. It it blew, it blew me away. I've never seen one like this, but I will tell you what, now two and a half off, going on three weeks in, they've dropped 10 pounds and the, the, their arthritic type of joint pains are going away, are going away. They're, they're practically, uh, you know, becoming a memory at this point. And it's unbelievable because this person never on their own would have eliminated the majority of vegetables from their diet, right? And gone to a diet where there was more legumes because, you know, we hear about these lectins and about, and that's not, I'm not poo-pooing that. I mean, that's, that's a reality for certain people, but I, I think it just outlines the importance of having the highest quality assessment done that you can, uh, because, you know, if it's an infection, food is medicine. I'm the first one to say it. I also will also remind people that you can't kill uh, weeds in your garden by planting more tomato plants, you know? And and so sometimes the testing aspect and the information is absolutely necessary to get you the change you're looking for. And so that gut's important. Again, diet is super important. It may not be what you expect. Uh, the organisms uh, are super important. And you got to understand that 
even the normal organisms. I don't use a I don't think I don't know if I've ever used the words good and bad bacteria with you. If I did, then I don't anymore, we'll okay. say, because even the normal organisms you find in your gut, the ones that are supposed to be there, if they're just like your body temperature, right? It needs to be right in the sweet spot. Right. If, they're, if, they're, if they're overgrown, that's a problem. It's going to cause inflammation. Uh, you, you may not digest your food right. You certainly aren't going to absorb even the best food uh, when your gut tissue is inflamed. It's not going to work right, you know? So the vitamins, the minerals, you may be either taking in supplement form or the foods you're eating, that might not be happening with with all the food as medicine efforts you're you're putting forth. Right. So it might be just wasted. It, it might be wasted energy. And that, and that's the that's one of the saddest things that I'll, I'll come across is somebody who says, Yeah, well it didn't it doesn't work or it didn't work for me. And the fact is, is this is the most empirical science there is, right? <laughs> it really is. It does work. When you come upon a situation where it doesn't work, that is your clue to go find somebody who can help you sift through this stuff, right? Because you need to find somebody who's going to tell you, hey, I am really sorry, but you're going to have to stop eating kale and greens Okay, and cauliflower and carrots, <laughs> you know. Now, will that person be able to eventually slowly reintroduce those things into the diet? Yeah, it, at least the vast majority of them. Oh, um, okay. What we're, you know, what you do is you take a really aggressive stance on rebuilding the gut from the ground up. You've got to rebuild the lining, therefore sealing up the leaky gut. You've got to take an aggressive stance on calming the um, uh, the epigenetic inflammatory pathways mm -hmm. triggered. Uh, the ones that, that when they get turned on, it's just like a light switch. You literally have to flip it off for it to stop. Okay. And then avoid, right? Avoid those foods for a while. Uh, it, it may vary food to food, uh, depending on how you test, you know, the, the severity of what's going on there with you. But that person will be able to reintroduce some of these foods. That's the good news. Uh, hopefully all of them. Certainly is a possibility that it'll be all. So, you know, when you get to that point of needing to know you need to know, you know, if there's any bad guys there, but you need to even know, um, you know, the, the pathogenic uh, ones. Those are the really – I can use the term bad guys there, like a pathogenic candida, right, or a klebsiella or, you know, pseudomonas. But uh, then you have to know the ba your specific individual balance of the normal organisms because, you know – you could you could you know run to the anywhere these days and pick up a bifido you know lacto uh, probiotic and what do most people do? Well, they look for the thing the the one that has the you know very frequently the most millions and billions of organisms in it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Well, what if you like a large sector of people that I'll test? Have a lot of bifido, uh, bifido, excuse me, bifido, bifido, and they'll have you know failing amounts of various, uh, you know, it could be lactobacillus, it could be bacteroides, their uh, firmicutes families, mm -hmm. and so when you supplement with a probiotic, just like anything, you need to be, make sure it's appropriate for you, and so you can choose 
different probiotics based on what they contain, not just willy-nilly because you read an article or you heard from somebody or somebody's had you on probiotics for two years and you're still not better, right? And you're you're taking a great quality, you know, high billions of organisms probiotic. You just have to really watch that stuff. Well, and just to point out that I was the exact opposite. I had no bifida and I was over, I, I had too much lacto. It's very individual. So, you know, these, the treatment, you know, like we, uh, you know, we're kind of saying before, it takes a holistic uh, approach. And we, we often will call it in, in functional medicine like a, a three-legged stool, meaning that if you don't have three legs on your stool, then it, you're going to topple over, right? right. Uh, you know, there is a huge need to do some often, you know, certainly the stress reduction, you know, mechanisms, the plethora of things that could be done unique for an individual uh, to reduce their stressors. But sometimes you need to rewire the brain. And that's where some of the coaching comes in. You know, when I was recovering from, yeah, when I was recovering from my depression, which again, I had hypothyroid, I had blood sugar crashes. So I had two of the things going on that mimic depression, right? Mm -hmm. But it doesn't matter whether it was truly depression primary or it was depression that was a mimic or misdiagnosed sort of situation. Right. I still had habits and I had thoughts about myself that weren't healthy because I'd been sick, mm -hmm. right? And so it, it, sometimes you, you have to have a leg of that stool that is helping to guide a person through the mess of emotions and ideas and concepts that they've had about th th themselves. And, you know, the person that introduced us is a, is a genius at this, right? right. It, it's her life's work. Yes. Uh, helping, helping. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Kate Michaels. So, you know, shout out there. And it's really the, um, the core, you know, her process that is, is one of the core things that when we need to to, to support somebody like that and, and go to somebody like that. We've got coaches on our team that pick up the ball there and take it across the line, right? Helping right. somebody to re, re Yeah. Because if some, I mean, if you're, if part of your stress is your finances or maybe you're not happy in your job, or maybe there are things going on in your family and your relationship, those all, all need to be addressed too. Absolutely. And, and so, you know, the way we approach it with functional health team is to have somebody that can teach you how to get your finances in order, right? They can teach you how to declutter the house because, cool. you know, your home should be an environment where you're comfortable, <laughs> not stressed, you know, and then, you know, should it, should things not settle out for you naturally from there? Well, then we can go deeper, right? And we can you can kind of try to deal with some of the aftermath of right. those stressors. Right. Sure. Right. Yeah. And Shelly, do you have anything you'd like to add there? Yeah. Um, I kind of look at a more holistic approach to anxiety and depression. It is knowing that an individual is fully capable of self-healing and oh, yeah. When I use breathwork, it is a great tool to help in that treatment. And I kind of feel as if, you know, the best ways to create mental wellness for ourselves is we have to first start taking responsibility for our own health and wellness. We have to say, yes, I will do this. And, and I usually just have the ways like, you know, you have to be able to have courage to look where you are right now in your life. How are you physically? How are you mentally? How are you emotionally? And even how are you spiritually? 
you have to be willing to change. Um, especially when somebody, you know, that you love suggests that maybe you can change something, you have to be willing to at least look at that. Um, I think total self-acceptance is very important. Um, I always like to tell people that figure out how to become your own best friend. Find the people that support you. You have to know that your self-worth and your self-esteem is not going to come from external validation. Uh, do an act of kindness for yourself every day. And, um, you know, one of the biggies for me is I had to learn how to support, soothe, and comfort myself with self-loving acts versus self-destructive acts. And I also had to really learn how to have fun by myself. Mm, good point. I think those are... Uh... Shelly, those are all really excellent points. I, I would encourage people to uh, rewind and, and listen to what you just said again, because you, you packed a lot of <laughs> tips in there, <laughs> and they're all really good. One thing I wanted to add, too, is that because I, I totally agree about the pharmaceuticals and, you know, if you're immobilized, if you cannot function, perhaps a pharmaceutical will help you to get out of that so that then you can move forward. But you you still need to deal with what is the underlying cause. You know, I, I see pharmaceuticals as, you know, like a, a short term. It's not a solution, but it's just, it can be a short term, a short term way just to get so you can move forward if you're if you're so immobilized by by depression or anxiety. Yeah. You know, We'd like to think that, and and I certainly am not a proponent of of uh, <laughs> discounting a, a, a person's the, the feeling of their needs. But we, we really need to look at the book Anatomy of an Epidemic by Robert Whitaker. When we have a body of literature that is, uh, in terms of the studies that support the use of, of antidepressants, specifically pharmaceuticals, when that body of literature is literally only the published uh, journal articles coming from what the industry sponsors of research has decided will be published. It is a completely skewed misconception that there is a foundation for it. And if you go into the, the research that Robert Whitaker did, again, in, in his book, Anatomy of an Epidemic, it really is just outlined beautifully the, the misguided nature of, of using that as a, as a method, you know, and maybe we'll say crutch, right, to get you by, to get you through it. What the research really shows is that Somebody who goes on an antidepressant at all has a, a seriously difficult time ever, ever in the future coming off of that or, or getting rid of the depression uh, without the use of it. And, and here's one little tidbit of why. Okay. You know, we know that when you go on an antidepressant, you're told, well, this might take a little while to work. Just to stick with it, you know, and if we need to mod modulate the dosage or whatnot, we need a little time for it to work. Well, the, down the road, we even know that the effect of that antidepressant frequently changes, right, mm -hmm. in the body. This is because we're thinking that we're going to go on it for a little while and this condition is going to be just supported until we don't need it anymore. The reality of what happens is we go on it for a little while, and we're talking even the matter of days, and 
the actual membrane receptors in our nerves start to adapt. The, literally the quantity, the numbers of these things in our nerves start to change. And so this is part of the reason why there is a period of we've got to stay on it and find the right dose. It's the reason why it, uh, as the you know weeks go on, a dose that we finally found would work now has to change, why we have to add a new antidepressant. I mean, most people that, most people that are on a uh, psychiatric medication, it's not one medication, the, the vast, you know, not the average person that's on one. It, they're on two to four you know, and, uh, across the, the profession. And so I, I think that for these acute situations, right, we really need to look really heavily at the EFT, right? At the, the, the copious amounts of, of, of breath styles, okay, or, or, or types of, you know, breathwork available. And we need to kind of look towards these things because, it is a dangerous, slippery, slippery slope, even doing one of the pharmaceuticals for a short amount of time. And I'm just, you know, I'll just kind of leave it at that because the deeper understanding is something that we really need to kind of get into uh, um, Robert Whitaker's book to understand more fully, you know, when we don't really have the time to, you know, kind of go that deep down the rabbit hole. I'll find it on Amazon and I'll put a link yeah. uh, for it uh, on the website too for people. I think it would be helpful for okay. people to understand, to make an informed decision, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that's all it's about. You know, I'm not going to argue with somebody that believes it. I, you know, that's not what we're here for, right? right? We're not here to add stress, you know, to the life. But for complete informed consent, you need to know all the information. And the majority of the information that is found out in these research programs is suppressed. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not it. shared. Well, you know, and what I was thinking at the time when I said that was if somebody's so immobilized that they can't even ask for help, but, you know, get out of the house and ask for help. But at least with the functional health team, you don't even have to leave the house to make that first step. <laughs> you might have to to get lab work done, but, you know, you can you don't have to go anywhere. And it's pretty easy to take that first step and have a consultation. Well, and please, please be aware if you fall down and break an arm or break a leg, please go to your nearest hospital and get your safe <laughs> self taken care of. Absolutely right. <laughs> we'll send you good energy for healing, right? But... <laughs> yeah. We'll see you after you have the cast on. Right, right. Good point. <laughs> Agreed. Good point. Jeff. Oh, thank you guys. This has really been wonderful and we probably should wrap up. There's a lot of information here. So I'm, I'm confident that the majority of people will hang in until the end of this conversation. You, you guys have really put forward a lot of good information for people, a lot of helpful information. And um, once again, how can people contact you if they really want to delve deeper? Absolutely. So we have a, uh, a toll-free phone number, if that's your kind of thing. It's 1-888-474-1888. Uh, or a sometimes easier way to get a hold of us is through our website at functionalhealthteam.com. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you, Dr. Matt Flory, Shelley Hogan, and Amanda LaPlante. I'm 
just so excited that uh, we're doing these kind of roundtable discussions. Yes, thank you. Take care. Thank Thank you. you. It It was a whole lot of fun. Looking forward to the next. Great. Thank you, Janine. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Dr. Matt Flory, Amanda LaPlante, and Shelley Hogan for taking time to share your very extensive expertise with us. The podcast website is realjanine.com. You can listen to and download episodes. You can sign up for the podcast bi-weekly blog newsletter to keep up on new episodes, archives, life updates, and always a healthy recipe. And remember, Janine is J-A-N-E-A-N. To subscribe to Keeping It Real with Janine, go to iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. You can also listen to my conversations on YouTube. Just type in Keeping It Real with Janine and remember to subscribe. I'm creating slideshow videos of all my conversations. Do you know someone who would benefit from my conversation with Matt, Amanda, and Shelley? I know you do. Please share the love. Take care and be